All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 64 of the KISS FAQ podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Julian Gill, admin on the KISS FAQ message board. Joining me today is a international cast of characters from the board, and uh, there aren't any Americans here today. So Alan from Japan, where it is late or early. Daniel. Hello. Sweden, right? I always get mixed up because I talk to a bunch of guys in Norway, so <laughs> don't, I don't want to go there. Um, and Mark, of course, from the Great White North Canada. And myself, of course, I am in America, but I am not an American. But uh, all right, topic today. Actually, before we do the topic, I'm doing a giveaway on the board at the moment, so I just want to mention that to anyone who's still interested. Drawing for this monstrosity, which is yes. four and a half wow. pounds. 732 pages it's just a printed galley basically if you go over to the kiss monster website and go into the torah chronology um website that is that printed out oh and that is also hellishly uh collect um corrected from the online version i've been using it as a reference corrects a lot of things in what people think they know about the touring history lots of reviews and stuff like that so i'm giving away one copy of that the drawing will be on sunday which is March the 20th, so go on the message board. If you have an account, register, enter, etc., etc., and that can be yours. Um, open to everyone everywhere, and that will hurt to send to Australia oh, if the winner is from there or to Europe. Or to me. Or to Japan. Or anywhere. So, I yeah. mean, U.S. postal rates suck these days, but there we go. Let's get into today's topic. We're talking farewell. It is, of course, now 15, is it 15 years? Yeah, 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 15. 15 since the farewell tour and uh, the the farewell tour ended, actually. So, you know, what we want to do is just look back on the farewell era a little bit and talk about some of the highs, the lows. The, there weren't any lows, of course, um, but some of the things that go around with the topic. Um, and so let's just jump straight in. You know, 2000, January, it gets announced. The band's going out on tour. Initial impressions. Farewell. Uh, I kind of like the introduction. If you remember, VH1 Classics, uh, Classic had a uh, a show about that. Ted Nugent were hosting. If you remember, I think it was kind of cool, and you felt like something is happening. This is fine, and I I must uh, confess, I thought it was the final tour because I couldn't see how they could con- continue after that. Because uh, Peter had started to decline big time. Ace seemed kind of out of it. If you look at that, uh, you know, when they made the first interview. Have you seen that one where Ace is kind of... Oh, when he was slouched on the... It was yeah, like supposedly slouched. early morning. Yeah. And he was He looked it. like shite. He was know. a space cadet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I just, in my mind, it was like, okay, one more tour. And hopefully they will come to Europe. But... Again, they didn't. They couldn't, but but they did make it to Japan. Alan. Yeah, when um, when it was announced, I immediately thought they they will come to Japan. It was not a matter of uh, of if, but when. Um, so I was really really looking forward to to the Japan leg of of the tour. Um, I think. I had seen the um, the live in 
when New Jersey there was a, a video film, The Farewell, The Last Kiss, uh, which was broadcast on in Japan on NHK. So uh, I was really, really, really um, sad that they would announce. I believed it would be the, the, their last two, and I really didn't want to miss it. I remember uh, the feeling. Yeah, and that was what they kind of really made clear at the time, that this was the farewell. There was none of the revisionism that they did later, like, oh, we're only saying goodbye to certain members of the family. There was, this is the farewell, and it was really sold as such. I remember... You know, it, it was a great, great time to be following the band on Kiss Asylum. You know, the website had tons of news like every day. It was like, what is this tour going to entail? You know, where is it going? Is it going to be, you know, like the reunion part two? You know, after seeing Psycho Circus, the tour kind of bomb in uh, in the U.S. at least. Uh, Mark, what was your initial impressions on the farewell? Well, um. Mainly, uh, I I wasn't sure what to think. I mean, I kind of had the feeling that they were going to maybe wrap it up for sure. But I know from a lot of the musician friends that I used to hang around with, there was quite the different opinions amongst them. Like one guy I knew was very convinced. They go, this, there's no way in hell that they're going to quit. He he thought for sure this was just a hoax, that they were just going to continue. But what they were going to do was always the thing that kind of everybody kind of debated about. Some guy, some of my friends thought that they were going to go back to without makeup and just continue as they were before the reunion happened. Some people thought that they were just going to, you know, take a, few, a little bit of time off and then they would just come back with the same people again. There was all kinds of different opinions about it. But for most, the people that I hung out with, that believed that it was over, they took it really hard. Like, they were like, wow. Like, so I just saw one guy who was almost in tears. He was like, man, this is my favorite band and blah, blah, blah. But I I don't know. I, I initially thought that it was going to be done. I mean, up to that point, Kiss wasn't really known to be that band like The Who, who would, you know, say this is it and then come back a couple of months later and then start again. And, then, you know, by the time they actually do retire, I mean, The Who are still playing now. How many times have they claimed that they're retiring? Like four times already or five so, I mean, but Kiss didn't have that reputation at that point for doing that. So I had every reason to believe that they were going to wrap it up. Was I surprised that they came back? Yeah, sort of. Was I happy that they came back? Yeah, of course, because, you know, I I was still digging the band and loving it. So my impression was I thought that they were going to wrap it up, to be honest. Yeah, you- I had seen I had seen uh, them in '99 in, in when I went back to uh, to my native Belgium for the Psycho Circus tour, and it was probably one of the worst concerts I ever attended <laughs> for Kiss. I mean, Peter Chris was just just yeah. just in his worst shape ever. Paul Stanley had a um, had a what do you call it? Um, his knee was uh, wrapped in. Uh, so oh he, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they were falling apart and I thought well okay well it, it is the farewell because they have to so um, I I kind of welcomed said yes well it's, it's it's about time and and thank you for the thank you for all those years but maybe you should wrap up in the end yeah. I, I totally agree with you I couldn't see any way for them to continue it was like the end what are they going to do Peter Chris is finished Ace Frehley seems to be out of it and I couldn't I, I couldn't I don't know what about you guys but I couldn't see anyone else wearing their makeup. I didn't even think about it. That's true. Uh, now it's kind of, you know. Yeah. But but back then I, I I couldn't see it happening. 
Uh, yeah, because that's that's the thing that was sort of interesting. Again, talking about first, how we first talked about how Kiss didn't have the reputation for being the band to kind of say we quit and then come back. Kiss never had that reputation of, you know, being that band where you would think that, okay, if somebody left, we would replace them and put makeup on. That was never thought of. People thought that was, you know, sacred ground. You can't put that makeup on anybody else's, you know, face except the original people. So when I remember my initial shock when I first heard that Eric Singer was put into the makeup, I was like, wow. I mean, but like history has shown us, Eric always seems to get a bit of a pass because he has been in Kiss. So it wasn't really like putting it on a complete stranger. You know what I mean? It was somebody that was kind of already accepted into the Kiss family. That's why Tommy always gets more of the hard time. Even though if people probably knew beforehand how much involvement he was with Kiss, maybe they wouldn't have given him as much of a hard time, but nobody knew how much he was doing in the in the background. So, of course, to them, it was just like they just found some guy and put their makeup on him and said, you're Ace Freely now, you know? So the, the, it's, 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 it's interesting how that whole thing occurred because they Kiss kind of went from a band that was very respected for being, you know, following their thing and just sticking with it and keeping everything sacred to being a band where now it seems nothing is sacred. We can put makeup on whoever we want. We can do whatever we want. You know, it's, it's, it, they, that whole aura of the band has kind of disappeared with time. Do you guys agree or? Yeah. But what, what was your first impression or, uh, how did you react to, you know, that first picture of Eric Singer wearing, uh, Peter Chris makeup? And it looked. It, it look, looked weird. It looked really yeah. odd. It, but it, I have it, to remind. I think that he. There was a lot of backlash when it happened. There uh, was. There was a lot of backlash. As simple as that. I mean, and my yeah. impression was, oh Jesus Christ, here we go. You know. <laughs> I, you know, it, it was just one of those things that, for me, it was like, what the hell? I mean, it was just flogging a dead horse. Comes I, to I, I, I thought it was so strange because the first. You remember that first picture that they posted online and everywhere? I was like, that doesn't look good at all. <laughs> But then after, you know, <coughs> after some time, he kind of, I don't know if he changed the makeup because I, I thought his, he looked better. But it can also be that you got used to, to it, you know. Uh, but well, I was, first I, was picture, happy, I was happy yeah. to see him because it, for me, it was either that or no shows, canceled shows. I agree. So. I totally agree. So, but but there was a lot of of reactions and uh, a lot of I I had pre I had bought six tickets for people overseas. Hey, I want to come to Tokyo. Can you book a ticket? And when it was announced that uh, <laughs> Peter Chris had left, whatever that means, and that he will be replaced by Eric Eric Singer, everyone just jumped ship. Said, "Well, I'm not coming. Do whatever with the ticket." Oh, so I was really? left with. Really, with uh, with six tickets for uh, cares for, for, about uh, a drummer anyway. But you know what, though, <laughs> so, uh, but there were a lot of backlash, yeah. But you know what, honestly, though, if you watch that show, which I, you know, I'm sure all of us have which, seen, which show? The, the, the Tokyo, the Tokyo yeah. show. Right? He, he, Eric Singer, played so good on that show. Like oh, I yeah. thought, that, that that for sure totally. That forgave. I forgave him when I saw that show. I was like, okay, you know what? Okay. If you're gonna, if you're, if you're gonna put him the in, band. yeah, well, exactly. But that's yeah. what I mean. Like, to me, there was no more debate about it. 
he's the right guy to do it because he drums so good. And I mean, he played those songs so much better than Peter was doing. You know, it's unbelievable. So I think it was the right choice, to be honest. But it you also know, I, had a knock-on effect that it reinvigorated Ace. Yeah, Ace was a, those was kinda, those Japanese it, shows. Are oh, they sounded totally great. Totally on fire, and I was going to bring it up yeah. later on. You know, favorite bootlegs, but you know the uh, the farewell performance from Tokyo. Cool. You know, one of the the main bootlegs audios from those is one of my all time favorite Kiss shows. I have a question about the Tokyo uh, show. Was it only Kiss, or was there several bands? Because it was wasn't it like a huge crowd in Tokyo? Uh, okay. Yes, it was. Uh, the Tokyo Dome was for Kiss only. Um, there was a so the Japan tour first was supposed to uh, to be in November two thousand. Yep. Yeah. There was an announcement. Uh, there were uh, ads made, and then it was canceled very quickly. And for that show, they had a Japanese band on the bill. Uh, as an opening act, which is very rare in Japan, usually the 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 the, uh, the main artist is uh, is the only the only uh, the only act. So for the when they came back for March was March two thousand one, it was only Kiss, and so I can guarantee you the fifty forty five thousand people in Tokyo Dome were there just for Kiss. It was a it was an incredible uh, atmosphere because everyone thought it was the last show. I think that was that yeah. was a really well advertised. Uh, no matter who the drummer was, people wanted to see Kiss the last time, and uh, it was it was very successful. And they and they that show was unbelievable. They were so good. It was so so great. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, they didn't have any reason to believe otherwise. Everybody thought for sure it was the last show. But how many of you were aware of the five-year contracts? You know that had been signed in '96 by. You know, I mean, nope. those those leaked out. I can't remember when they leaked out, but you know, now we know in hindsight that the reunion was only supposed to go from '96 to you know 2000, essentially. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and these ones do fall outside of the the continent, especially the Japanese and Australian. Like, you know, fell outside of the uh, I believe the contract period, which is why yeah, Peter. I think yeah. they wanted to do it November, December, and finish in 2000. That's why he renegotiated, right? Happened. Yeah. Yeah, I was always mesmerized by the by the way they handled business, Pony. I always thought, I always thought they made kind of strange decisions. I remember just the reunion tour. I thought, well, good luck with this one. Be, having seen Peter when he toured a few years back with his band Chris, it, it wasn't good, and uh, this will <laughs> fail miserably. I thought. It was a huge success, <clears throat> biggest tour of the year, and then they they decided, well, let's slap the makeup on Eric Singer. I said, oh my God, this will never work. Worked fine, and then we of course come to Tommy Thayer, and then was, I thought this is <laughs> sacrilege. I mean, how can you put guy on that? How can you put makeup on the guy who's like the you know handler? But then that worked too. So. Yeah. Very good. They're really well, good at business. But, but you know, what I mean, it, it is also kind of backhanded. I mean, it, it also depends on how, what you believe, too, because, I mean, I've read all the, I'm sure you guys have read all the biographies, too. And there was that chapter in Peter's book where he said that they, when they were negotiating the tour for Aerosmith Kiss, 
they were telling him that, oh, Aerosmith fell through, so they told him that he couldn't get as much money for it. He signed the contract, apparently, saying, okay, yeah. I'll take less money. And then they told him after, okay, Aerosmith's back, you know. But so, then you talk to Lydia Chris, and she, she says, Peter is just a fucking liar. He yeah. lies all the time through the whole book. So I don't know how yeah. much truth to believe, it is. Right? No, yeah. no, what, yeah. I think exactly. more than likely somewhere in the middle of those two stories, you get get kind of the truth. But I mean, obviously, Peter does have a little bit of a reputation, you know. Rightfully so. Rightfully so, I think. And he seems kind of a. He likes to play the victim a lot too. So yeah. I, so I guess it's a, it's a tough one to ask. I mean, Daniel, you wouldn't have had the choice, the the chance to see them in concert for this, would you? God damn, I would have seen them if they were here, but they were nowhere near Europe. No. So Mark, what about you? Did you get to see them? Um, I had a chance to go see them, but I didn't end up going to go see them. I think I was. I think I ended up going away somewhere. I think I went to Cuba or something for for holiday or something. But it. Where's it, it <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't see it. I mean, I, I I regretted it, but I mean, from people that I know that went to see it, they they gave me very mixed reviews about it. They were saying, you know. As usual, Gene and Paul were pretty good, but they were saying that Peter was terrible. Like the one guy that I went to at the reunion show, he was the one jumping up and down saying that he couldn't believe how good Peter played. He was definitely the the, the big surprise at the on the reunion show because he thought that he played because he he hated Peter Chris even through the seventies. He thought Peter was oh. terrible, right? Yeah, yeah, because you got to understand, my friend, he's into like Mike Portnoy, Neil Peart, and all this. He thought Peter Chris was so basic a drummer, right? Yeah. But then when he saw them at the reunion show, he goes, wow, this guy is really good, really solid. He goes, I see, he was impressed. And then when he went and saw the the, the farewell show, he thought, he goes, wow, this guy's run out of gas. He's not hit. And he was like, it's like he was hitting with feathers, the drums half the time. You know, it was just unbelievable, yeah. like the, the difference. But I mean, you got to remember, this guy's also getting older. And I mean, that first reunion tour was really, really long. I mean, you know, these guys were playing almost on a nightly basis. So for for them to start falling apart, I mean, if they could you imagine if they didn't do those months of training beforehand, they wouldn't have lasted probably half that tour if they didn't prepare for it like that. How much yeah, do you they, think they Peter Chris trained? Or, I don't think Peter Chris pregnant. <laughs> How do you think he said, oh, Peter, you have to work out. Oh, fuck you. Well, uh, I, I mean, guess he would say... I don't think it worked out a lot. He should have worked out a lot more. He looked a little bit more trimmer than than before. Not all hugely. He didn't look like he was like Arnold Schwarzenegger or nothing. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, he. I'm sure he did. He had to do a little bit of training. I mean, they they all looked a little bit more trimmer before they started. But as the tours went on, you know, some of the water weight came back a bit, right? So, yeah. Everybody looks so down and depressed talking about this. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I just have I have images of like that ace at the press conference, just kind of slouched in the chair, and you're and you're thinking of, of Peter, like I'm going to work out today. I'm going to take the cat for a walk, you know. And, yeah, I don't think it did the work. So it's so it's kind of depressing, but I mean, here we go into the set list and uh, making Ace and Peter perform mm -hmm. 80s stuff. Heavens on Fire comes back into the set. Lick it up comes back. Uh, am I missing anything? No, that's yes. It. One more. I love love. Make it up. I, yeah, thank you. So make it up as well. No, making Peter Chris perform. I love it loud. Heavens on fire. You know, playing Eric's Eric Carr's stuff. Um, Listening to Peter Chris making that thunderous drum in I love it loud was like heaven. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't really. <laughs> 
I, th- I think Julian's vomiting from that comment. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm sick, but I, I can handle that. And I, and I mean, you know, the last kiss. Oh shit. The last kiss. Right. Yeah, the concert. And the one you would have seen. That's uh, what, oh, what the hell's it called? I've got it right here. That's the music from New York. Was the one on NHK, which is slightly a different version of the Last Kiss, just different edit or something. I don't know. Uh, you know, it it was kind of depressing. But I mean, I went to what three, two, something like that shows, um, and one of them, Marysville, was my first and only time front row to Kiss concert. So I'm kind of skewed. Uh, my opinion of that show was maybe one of my top three Kiss shows, just because shock and awe, being front row, feeling the blast of the flame, seeing the grease paint dripping down their faces. I mean, seeing every bead of sweat on their faces. I mean, seeing Ace. If I if I recall correctly, I was more on Ace's side of the stage, and and we were pretty central. And just looking up at the stage, and there's Ace with his guitar. I mean, it was like one of those like Kiss fanboy moments for me, you know. And there, you know, you're you're looking up, and it really makes them look larger than life. And I'm I'm sorry, they could have been, you know, out of tune, hitting every bum note, out of key. Doesn't it wouldn't have mattered from that perspective, you know. The only thing that I remember negative about those shows was Ted Nugent, um, <laughs> which is not my freaking scene whatsoever, as much as I like. I mean, you know, from, of... from my perspective, from a European perspective, that guy is fucking nuts. Oh, he's Bring just a fucking idiot fucking to me. But idiot, redneck, motherfucker, all you Ted Nugent fans. But he's got some. De- he's got a few crazy. decent tunes in the mid seventies. Yeah, you know, Stranglehold. That yeah, free for like, all. Tango, tango, tango. You know, a lot of that stuff is. No different oh, yeah. from what Kiss were doing at the same but, time, or what Aerosmith were doing at the same time, or Cheap Trick. You know, it's all in the same sort of, you know, area code. That's a nutcase. Yeah, but he's a nutcase. You know, and again, best memory from that show is being backstage after it and having Ace come around and shout at people, you know, hey, you know, in, in that little <laughs> acky cackle of his, you know, just hilarious to, to kind of hear and experience. Yeah. And also seeing Gene eat cake without a spoon, but you know, <laughs> what the hell? So you know, but but really, really cool show. It was nice. I enjoyed seeing or hearing the um, '80s material in the set. I thought they did it adequately. Um, you know, and I've seen some cover bands do some pretty atrocious versions of those songs. So I thought, you know, Peter and Ace at least, you know, did them as respectfully as they wanted to. You know, they didn't deliberately butcher them or anything. So, they so picked, it was... they, they picked the three simplest songs that Kiss ever recorded, almost. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's hardly like, any technical challenge to yeah, most no. of the catalog. So that's why they worked. <laughs> If they had picked like King of the Mountain or I've had nothing to the fire, it would sound like shit. So Peter would have passed out after that drum beginning. (laughs) Imagine seeing Peter do the double uh, double bass drum on I've had enough. No, that's not his style. No, 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 do it. Peter Chris was great, San Francisco seventy four, but after Tokyo, after Japan, actually, 70, what was it, 77, Japan, 77. after that, I, I think he did a little bit too much drugs. It was never the same to me. Too much cocaine. 
Yeah, but, you know, there's more to, you know, kind of like the decline of the band sonically than just the personalities. I think a lot for me, a lot of it comes down to the choreography and how it became big business once Glickman Marks came into the picture, that every aspect of the show, you know, it was going to be a 75-minute show, was here's second by second, here's flashbot by flashpot. It took everything organic out of the performance you know and that's that's what that's why i love the medleys from the the latest leg the the final leg of the the farewell tour exactly when ace went into rocket ride it was like the best thing on the whole tour almost because yeah. it was spontaneous how do you say it Spont- spontaneity yeah exactly and uh it was uh yeah I'm, it's my second language god damn it <laughs> So uh, I like that a lot. And the way he pissed off Gene, that's yeah. priceless. That's priceless. What yeah. does Ace Freely want to play next? Ace Freely Band want to play next? I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I mean, and that's what uh, you miss in Kiss when you don't have Ace in the band. He's like the loose gun. You know, the, you don't know is it going to be a good show, a bad show? Is he going crazy? Is he going. To do something that's out of you know you, you're not expecting, and now it's just safe all the time. Yeah, but that that, ex- I, that explains a lot about their character. Sorry, Alan. It's just uh, that I think somebody mentioned this once before. Is that Peter? Not Peter. Paul and Jean are very much that kind of character that like things in detail, everything worked out. Whereas Peter and Ace, they, they never seem to have anything worked out in their life, it seems. Everything seems to be, you know, day by day and following the flow as it goes kind of thing. So that's why I think that they're the most happy is probably now, Paul and Gene, because everything is so structured. They have two people with them that also believe in structure, especially Tommy Thayer. His whole life revolved around structure, you know, taking care of Kiss beforehand. And, you know, and he's... That's what they have now, and that's why they look so comfortable touring. I mean, could you imagine how much gray hair Paul Stanley would have now if those two were still in the band, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, he he wouldn't have any gray hair. He'd be in jail. He would have killed them. <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing yeah. that is missing is the is the spontaneity and, and yeah. the surprise, because I remember it was it's probably one of my favorite memories of the farewell tour, because I, I was in Nagoya. Uh, I went to, I saw, it was my last farewell show, Nagoya, and how, how big a hall, Rock and Roll How big a hall is Nagoya? I remember they played that back in 95. I guess it was the same. 10,000. Yeah, the, the Rainbow it's Hall. It's not very big. The, uh, no, it would be six, 7,000, I think. Yeah. But then, uh, so we all, we're all expecting Rock and Roll All Night to start, and, and they start this uh, one song that was not played in Tokyo, and everyone goes nuts. And I was a great surprise. Oh, that's a nice gift. And then they start playing another one and another one and another one. So we didn't know how, we didn't know what songs because it was the first night. We didn't know if they would play more. We didn't know which songs they were going to play. And that excitement is it's really, uh, that you, you can't really re- uh, replicate. It's, it's the surprise effect and the excitement of what's coming next. And oh, one more. Oh, one more. And, and that was, I just remember being up, like lifted that. up in the air for the whole time. I was, uh, I was really, really close to the stage. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And everyone just uh, was, uh, was in heaven for those what, yeah. 10, 12 minutes before the, before the end. That was a great, great mm-hmm. moment. An unannounced uh, medley of uh, four songs eventually. Well, I mean, I think, I think that uh, 
I think Daniel. I think Daniel just explained it though. I mean, I think if they didn't have Eric in the band at that point, that probably couldn't have happened because I mean, he had such a vast, vast knowledge of their catalog. Yeah. Ace could have started anything and he would have known what to do, what to play on it because he loved Kiss so much that he knew. It's kind of interesting. If you look at the convention tour, when they start whatever song, Bruce, he just sits there. I don't have a clue what the fuck I'm going to play. Eric is is right on it. It's not just the standard beat. He knows the yeah what to play. You know, I mean, he, so he he's really... always been into Kiss. Bruce was. I don't think he was ever into Kiss, and that yeah. showed. Yeah, but, the but Eric talk. is also into Kiss, and he's such a technically proficient drummer. Yeah. You don't get to drum for Gary Moore, or you didn't get to drum for Gary Moore unless you knew how to drum and you could do it the drop of the hat without thinking about oh we're gonna play this song now how do okay how's that go no you're in and you're playing and the list goes on you know black sabbath alice cooper and and most and most importantly i I know julian will agree that you got to be a top-notch person to drum with lita ford right julian (laughs) 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 wasn't lisa ford on the last kiss cruise wasn't she (laughs) yeah i heard it didn't go over too well apparently she had the least amount of people like watching, yeah. apparently. Sorry, I am, I am, I am not a Lita not Ford good. fan. That's it. <laughs> Never was. Joan Jett, all the way. Yeah, yeah <laughs> she was the star of that band. Yeah. yeah, you know. So, I mean, getting back to Japan, though, Japan doesn't also, yeah. you know, they get the medley. You know, I'm, I'm looking at Nagoya. I mean, got to choose Parasite She, Making Love. And they were pretty good chunks of those songs um, yeah, yes. performed. But you guys also got Talk To Me. I mean... Yes, that was the first that, surprise. That, on that the first to me night. was the, the better surprise. Yeah, you know, the, the yes, medleys were yes, cool. Remember. They were I fun. I remember it was, but... in, it was in Yokohama, and uh, I think Ace is going to sing a song for you now. And he goes, mm, Okay, this is the first time. One, two, three, four. And no no one expected Talk to Me. And it was one of my favorite songs as a kid when uh, and the mask came out. So that was a big treat too. Yes, definitely. Talk to me. Was so you, a, you look a, at these set lists from Japan and Australia, you know, and you've got stuff from the eighties. You've got a, basically built on the Psycho Circus kind of set with, you know, you've still got Into the Void, um, Psycho Circus in there. They got rid of Within, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> you know, I just have to tell you a quick story about Within. I was with my girlfriend attending the, I think it was uh, Sonic Boom. And then they played I'm an Animal. Mm. And she said, well, what the fuck is this song? What is this? And I said, hey, it's I'm an Animal from the latest album. It should be called I'm a Snail, she said. It was just so slow <laughs> and awful. Yeah, and, and that was within as well. You know, dreadful, yeah, that's dreadful why song. I thought of it. it was kind of the similar within and I'm an Animal kind of. I, n- I never understood why they picked Within, but, it, you know, by the time we get to Farewell, I'm glad they'd said Farewell to Within, that's for sure. Uh, and... I think I think Paul Stanley had a few songs that would have gone over quite well live on Psycho Circus, but they didn't really give them a shot. I remember, in, wasn't it in Australia they played Raise Your Glasses or something? No, they did. I Pledge Allegiance. Yeah. Yeah, Pledge the Allegiance to the Saint Rock. Which is one of the most awful songs in terms of its title, but you know, it's also a pretty cool yeah. anthem live. I would have rather heard Raise uh, Raise My Glass or Raise Your Glasses, whatever it was. Raise your uh, glasses. Yeah. Raise your heart. Raise your heart. I thought Thank they you. would raise a, their three D glasses. Wasn't that the kind of during oh, the second 
Space your 3D glasses. So that would have just been too predictable. But, you know, the farewell tour is a success. $63 million for the for the North American leg versus what was uh, the reunion just a few years earlier was what, 45 So obviously wow. tickets were more expensive. Lots of online stuff as well because they streamed the big – did you watch any of the streams, you guys who weren't in the U.S.? of um i think the first show phoenix blockbuster pavilion they streamed part of it and there was like it didn't have any of the hype or the excitement of even the psycho circus tour but did it feel done i mean i i remember this and we'll we'll get out the ad the infamous alive four as originally conceived which nice pick which we'd uh we'd heard about that they recorded uh new year's eve and it was going to feature Vancouver. Detroit Rock City. Hard luck woman now, yeah. <laughs> Deuce, I was made for loving you, calling Dr. Lovin, much, much more. And that was supposed mm-hmm. to come out in conjunction with the tour. And all we ever got were the album, album flats, you know. So I, that, that, for the farewell tour, is what disappointed me more, is that the reunion lineup didn't put out a full live album um you know and they and they re- apparently never got around to doing anything with it at the time so you know we were waiting for it first it's supposed to come out in march then april and then forget about it and you get the pay-per-view instead so that really is the live document of the farewell era until kissology comes out i mean what would you guys like to have seen release wise for the farewell well uh, uh sorry go ahead japan australia uh, I, I honestly think what I don't understand though is that they they filmed so many shows of the reunion, the ninety six ninety seven tour there, that I I mean they had to have recorded audio obviously as well, right? I mean, and why wouldn't they have released something from that period when they were on fire, when they were playing well together? Why couldn't they have just put together a show from that and released it later on? I mean, you know, it would have yeah. been a much better thing to have than anything from the farewell tour. They were much better shape, much better playing. They could have, you know, they, they could have got a decent guy to come in and mix it for them, and they would have had lots of time because that's old material. Like in considering ninety six, ninety seven, and then two thousand are doing the farewell tour. They had lots of time to mix it to get a decent package together and to bring it out on tour. I th- I would have loved to have something from that that's what i would have liked to have gotten yeah yeah it's incredible that they didn't release a live video from the reunion tour it was the biggest tour that year they didn't do anything the farewell tour the only thing i could have how do you say the mm. i would have liked to seen was something from the australian and japan tour because uh, i think that was the best part of the tour and I guess they they wanted to play more after that, but I guess there wasn't a demand after for Kiss after that because I re- I remember some of the interviews they did back in uh, uh, yeah they did in Australia they always go to that what it's what's it called footage show mm. and uh, I remember Paul saying something about well this is our farewell to Australia but it, we might uh, play some more. But I guess they couldn't, uh, you know, get a good deal. Well, you I mean, mean there to... was a, a an, an semi-official uh, 
video of the, the show in Tokyo, uh, which was broadcast here as part of a internet stream pay-per-view, um, which is fantastic. And it's, it's on, it's on YouTube, of course, now. Um, we saw, we, we had, uh, so what Julian said, a show recorded in New Jersey that was broadcast on, on TV here. So, that um, so they could have they could have uh, easily um, used the, the Tokyo footage because the, yes. it, it's really well produced. They they were on fire. The set list is yeah. fantastic. Great crowd. Um, could have been a, a really of, uh, an official release if they if they had wanted to. Yeah, and that one from the web stream is the one I, I was alluding to at the beginning of the show. You know, the farewell performance, two thousand and one. I mean, even though it's you know captured off the web stream. It was a stunning, stunning performance. Simple as that. You know, yeah. they, they hit it out of the park in Japan. I have to say the reason is, well, the reason. My theory is that they had two shows in Yokohama to rehearse, to practice. Because honestly, the the, the production and the, it was not as tight, it was not as slick in the first two shows. But they were really rehearsing when when they are filmed. They know they are filmed and they give it a, they give it an extra... 10, 15, 20%. And the audience just was just amazing being in, in that stadium. And they got so much in return. It was really, really, um, really fantastic performance and, and, and captured really well. So that's a, that's a great document. So, huh. so what's better, the Australian leg or the Japanese leg? Because by Australia, they're really, you know, getting into these medleys a bit more. Mm. Both are great. Why do you have to pick? <laughs> <laughs> well, you by the time of Australia, both. it's already it's it's not a surprise anymore. They people, I guess, know they were playing medley, and it's a bit more rehearsed. That's just because um, you were in Japan. Yes, that's right. And <laughs> and and your point is. <laughs> well, I I yeah. think another I think it another was good. Yeah. I think another important point though is that Japan and Australia, in retrospect, doesn't get as many tours from Kiss as North America does, and even South America probably. I mean, they they don't because of the fact that they don't go there so often. You're you're getting what Alan was talking about with the whole return of energy from the crowd back to them, and that really fuels a band like Kiss, right? When you have a big energized crowd like that, they really help push kiss to another level i find and because they don't go to japan as often into australia those tours are always so fondly talked about and remembered so well because because of that fact i think i think that they, they give so much energy into those shows because they're excited to go back there the people are excited to have them come back again you know, it's like when they announce a tour that they're going to go through the U.S. again, people are like, okay, yeah, great, they're coming. But it's not like they hadn't seen them like two years ago or one year ago or who knows. I mean, you know, the, it, when you see somebody too often, you know, the the thrill is gone, as they say, right? I mean, that's that's what you even, even that, that's one of the oldest theories that you learn as a in, in a band is that never oversaturate your market. You know, you don't want to play the same city, you know, seven times in one month because you're going to lose your audience. You know what I mean? Like you have to spread yourself out and, you know, make, bring your product to other places. And because they don't go to those two places, the demand is huge. People are excited as hell to see them. And I'm not surprised that Japan and Australia have such fantastic shows and such great bootlegs and stuff like that, because People are so like jumping out of their seats to see them, you know. 
yeah, it's an event. It's uh, it's we 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 don't take it for granted. If that's what you you perhaps yeah. want, want to say, that's that that's that's very true. But but now when we have people from three continents, why didn't they visit Europe? I mean that that's a large market to go to. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I mean, I know that there was a time during the reunion tour, I remember reading a little article about them having troubles in certain parts of Europe because there was some sort of a, a labor strike with some of the truckers or something that they had troubles with in Spain that they couldn't go uh, there that was at a, point. That was the reunion. That was in the reunion, first leg yeah. of the reunion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's, and, that's, and that's just a couple of shows. They need yeah, a the siesta. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I, was the dollar strong or was yeah. it weak? You know, I don't know. I don't was know why it economics? You know, did they not get the offers? It seems yeah. to you know with Kiss with a lot of things it seems to take them many years to catch on to things you know when the European <laughs> summer festival market really started heating up they weren't there initially yet they'd been part of it uh, on the side in ninety seven you know they touched on it so they should have known about the festivals maybe they didn't want to do festivals they didn't want to be a part of that scene the maybe the guarantees weren't there for what they you know thought they deserved maybe A's didn't want to play after Australia simple but as that. But what you said there, Julian, they didn't play for what they deserved, what they thought they deserved. That's been a huge problem for Kiss, in my opinion, because I was a fan of the non-makeup era, especially the, the revenge era. And if they just would have played, they could have done like all the other bands, you know, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest. I watched Judas Priest in Stockholm. There were like 1,500 people, one of the best shows I've seen. Uh, but they they couldn't like they, they wouldn't play for that amount of people. They always looked for a way to make money and play for big audiences, because Kiss with Bruce and Eric maybe releasing a great album instead of the Psycho Circles in in, in the late nineties would have been great to me. But it was always about you know attracting crowds. So they always and I was I was mesmerized that they managed to. You know, like rejuvenate the whole Kiss thing, just by bringing back a worse drummer and a guitarist. But you know what, though, you you, you touched upon something though that's interesting is that this this thing for Kiss is all about image and how they look to the public. I mean, yeah. I remember reading in a book that C.K. Lentz book there when they were doing the Lick It Up tour, and they were and one of the guys was asking Gene, how, how are you going to explain that you guys are playing now at smaller halls, you know, because they weren't getting that many attendance. He told somebody, he goes, we'll just tell them that they weren't available to bigger halls. Or, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we, can always, we can always attest it to something. Oh, they, you know, gas costs too much so people wouldn't come out as many people wouldn't attend. You know, they always had reasons to make it sound yeah. like, you know, there's other reasons besides their attendance, you know, their popularity. Like they always, they never wanted to have that appearance that we had to play smaller halls. We are the band that always plays the biggest ones and the biggest attendant things. That's their, that was what they were always stuck with, right? Yeah, that's the thing I, I don't like about the band. They became like, like through 84, 85, they were like rock and rollers. After that, they were like businessmen, lawyers. And just by listening to, Paul Stanley doing interviews after like 88 makes you want to puke because, well, you know, we got the, it's so, it's like a fucking teacher or a preacher. It's, ah, I want a rock and roller. 
I'm 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 here because I I like to play rock and roll music. I like to bring it to the audience. I want to make a good show. But it's it was about the money in the later years. But for the European the Europeans, I mean, were left out in the cold for many years after 1999. Oh yeah. So you know, it's also understandable maybe that they didn't go back out there in 2000 2001 because they'd just been there in 1999 and. The attendances then were hardly spectacular. You know, they were good, especially yeah. in Scandinavia, you know, traditionally Always. very strong, and Germany. But mm -hmm. after those two markets, where else in Europe are KISS actually popular? They're certainly never going to pull off a tour outside of those small 3,000-person venues in Britain. Simple as that. Yes. Just go to Scandinavia and go back. France, they might as well skip because they're more likely to have to cancel shows. Mm. Uh, you know, like they have, I think it was Lille, Lyon. You know, there just aren't the the markets in France even worse than England for them. Italy, you know, hit and miss. Going back to 1980, but the 76 tour was hardly economically successful. The 80 tour was hardly successful. Yeah, or like the uh, um, even the Iron Curtain places weren't that good probably either, like Poland or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, they had to cancel shows in 96, 97 in yeah. Eastern Europe, simple as that. So when you get down to the pure economics of how much it costs to put on a show, and it's easy to, you know, it's it's simple fact that putting on shows in Europe are more expensive than putting on shows in the U.S. Labor costs are higher, number but one. But it could be pretty expensive and they would still make a profit. I don't know about other countries, but they would easily have played for 20,000, 30,000 in Sweden. I don't know how many people do you have to play to play yeah, for but that's, yeah. that's the exception. That's the exception to the rule, though. Yeah, right? We're the best. Yes, yeah, yeah, Sweden can't carry all of Europe for Kiss. Sorry, yeah, you know, I mean, or, or Germany for that matter. Yeah, you know, Germany's Sweden. Sweden's always been a pretty strong market for a lot of bands. I mean, even I know Iron Maiden's spoken highly of Sweden. Yeah, you know, same with Kiss. You know, like most bands that I've even like when I whenever I would go and like I was really deep into like the whole kind of metal scene when I was younger, like Nightwish and all these other bands. Yeah. And they would always talk very highly about Scandinavia is always a place that you never miss when you go touring because it's well-attended, awesome. you know? And yeah, because they got people like Daniel who go and, you know, <laughs> attend shows, right? So, but that, but that's but that's just it. I mean, another thing that I find interesting about Europe is in that, again, that C.K. Lent book, they were talking about back when they did that Unmasked tour and they had to cancel because they needed to find a new drummer and then they had to rebook the tour again. And some, something that CK Lent wrote in that book that was interesting is he said that Europeans are very Germans, finicky. Germans, Germans. Okay, well. <laughs> Not well, Europeans, they, Germans. But they, yeah, but they said it's very finicky that once you cancel something on them and rebook it, that they're very skeptical about doing it on on a second turn like that. That they, they always seem very cautious about it. So it's almost like... Germans you, did it twice. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> well, but I mean, Germany's also been one of their stronger markets, though overall, right? Yeah. Yeah, Germany's a massive market for them. Look at recent years, how well they've done across Germany and the number of shows that they've they've done. You know, compared to well, they'll go they'll go to Stockholm, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, for Sweden. Ah, they they played a few play three places. They have you know Gothenburg. 
Stockholm and a place in the south called Malmo. Oh, Malmo, mm-hmm. yeah. And Lund. Yeah. Occasionally. So, you know, whereas <laughs> Germany... was a long time ago. Germany has 15 or 20 cities, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of the major festivals. So, yes, yeah. Pure, pure economics is my point. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's there's no excuses. I mean, obviously, Kiss isn't here to defend themselves. Why didn't you go to Europe? And someone out there probably knows, think, so... I think they I mean, would have made a profit. Yeah. My oh. theory is that Ace didn't want to go. That's all. I think that's... The, yeah, they had some problem with... Wasn't it Peter's fault that they, that they had to cancel a few shows? There was some uh, contractual problems. Or am I misinformed? Which tour? If I look at the farewell tour, Peter Chris wanted to nego- negotiate his... No, no, he he, start, he didn't, I think, force the cancellation of any shows other than the Japan tour that was planned for November. But he started okay. painting, He started doing the teardrop under his eye. Oh, making, yeah, yeah. Making his, oh, making his political fucking... statement of how, God. how oh, the world God. was against him. Again. <laughs> Again. You're playing the, in one of the coolest bands ever, and you're starting to... Uh, <laughs> and then destroying his drum kit at the end of the show, and it was uh, a uh, Charleston. I, I kind of like that one, because it was sponta- spontaneous. 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 Right. But maybe it wasn't, but it felt like it, at least. I liked it. Yeah, that would be one I would love to see in 3D. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> high, de- high definition. Instead of this kind of... You know, Peter. Wants well, if you if, if you remember how, if how bad his arms were at that point, you know, with yeah. him, he actually managed to put a lot of muscle effort into destroying that kit. I mean, <sighs> you would have thought yeah. with the the triggers and everything that he needed to use for performances that he would have been like slapping the drum kit in slow motion. But <laughs> oh, you know, he did I a good job. We don't get any Peter Chris fans watching this episode. <laughs> we're going to get slaughtered. No, I think anyone who's a Peter Chris fan can be objective yeah, about him. You know, it's it's yeah, not no, it's can't. not insulting him. He gave everything he had. It's a person. Had. It's not the way they play. Yeah, simple. People as... get people. You know, Peter Chris is the greatest drummer of all time. No, maybe he was cool for a few years, but then he wasn't. He was good. He had the groove, but you know, by the time you get to the end of the farewell tour, he doesn't. So, what do you think would have made the farewell tour better? Other than you're not allowed to answer while coming to my country. Um, <laughs> is is there anything that would have made it, you know, different set lists? God damn it! Like what? Play the same like, old like what? song because they brought in three songs out of the yeah. non makeup. That is a different set list. So yeah, but what, what would you like? Pretty safe choice. But you have to know, I'm a hardcore fan, so I would have liked to see, you know, kind of read know. my body. <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough. I would like no. I, no, I wouldn't have liked to see that one with Peter. But um, you know, switch up the set list, bring something new to the show. You know, it felt like they were doing the reunion tour again and again, except from the three D thing they did on the Psycho Circus tour, which kind of failed. It didn't work properly, but. Uh, I, I liked it back in the 90s when you had like Hot in the Shade 1990. Ooh, a, a new show that you haven't seen before. And then two years later, they built a new one with the Statue of Liberty. And there was some sort of, you know, they they tried to 
come up with new things. But then when the reunion happened, I think nothing happened show-wise for, yeah, I guess, until uh, they haven't changed it that much. Until the spider. Or? The spider. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that they should. I think they could have approached this a little bit better. Better, I thought overall for the reunion tour. I mean, not. I mean, for the sorry for the farewell tour. I mean, think about this. I mean, they were already falling apart. Okay, like they were sore. You know, Paul's knees bandaged up. Peter can hardly drum. So why wouldn't they approach it more to kind of capitalize on something like, for example, make a make a run of like four weeks, then take a week or two break. And then do another four weeks. Like, give themselves some time to recuperate so that it wouldn't deteriorate that badly as the tour went on. I think that's one thing that they could have easily given themselves a little bit of, you know, time in between. I mean, at that point, they were pretty popular still. You know, they could afford to maybe give themselves a week off here and there. Another thing I don't understand is, well, like I said, I don't know 100% about this or what would have happened logistically with this, but why wouldn't they have tried to, like, promote some of the shows differently like maybe saying okay we're gonna film this show for you know for a dvd or you know try to try to hype it a little bit differently i mean at that point it just seemed that they were just doing shows and saying okay we're just going this is our last show and that's that was the big deal of the whole event was that this is the final show but you know they could have maybe you know tried to broadcast it to maybe theaters like do like a closed circuit broadcast of it in the city or something or Maybe something just to liven it up, give it a little bit more excitement to it, on top of the fact that it's the last show. I mean, there are so many things I thought they could have did in that way, you know? Like, I mean, another thing that I loved that they did later on was when they did those instant live recordings. I mean, I don't I don't know logistically if they could have did it then because they were probably still under contract at that point, I think, right? When they were doing the farewell tour, that they couldn't have maybe made some of these instant lives. But I think people would have loved that, like to go to a show and have an instant recording of that show, their farewell show, for them to take home. I mean, that's another thing I think would have maybe attracted people to going to the shows was saying, hey, you know what, we're going to see them one last time, and I can even get something to bring home as a souvenir from it that way. You know, I mean, I just thought that there was more ways to do things. I mean, for a band that's, that tried, you know, tried to make us believe that they were on top of things as far as technology goes, why wouldn't they try to do something like that. I know that's, you know, they really weren't, obviously, but, you know, why why not try to do something like that? I mean, I never understood why they never tried to branch out, you know? I think they probably routed the tour in the way that it was so many shows in a short period of time because they didn't know if the when the wheels were going to fall off. And obviously yeah. they, they did make it to the end, you know, in that Charleston show, and then the wheels did fall off. But, uh, you know, you you can certainly understand by at that point there wasn't as much fun being on the road that I, uh yeah i don't know how, how was your you know like were you a kiss boy back then a, a kiss fanatic for me it was like oh no the farewell tour nothing has really changed well they added three songs but other than that nothing changed there was no no news there were no new albums so i kind of left the kiss camp during this tour and when I saw Tommy Thayer during the uh, Kiss Symphony, I thought, this is it. It's all over. But uh, I had to change my, uh, my mind a few years later. But by that time, I 
checked out and I remember I, I did a, a, a homepage called Kiss the Revenge Era when the music <laughs> counted and was from 1990 to 95 this was when Kiss got respected because of their music I remember did you did you do it did you do it with Lonnie no, <laughs> I should have. If I knew him back then, we could have created something great. But I remember, I, I, I was uh, it were, there were a lot of hits on that site because I guess people felt the same way. And I, rem- I remember the message boards being like swamped by persons who agreed with me because you you kind of got tired of the kiss the way they were. There were the uh, same set list, no news, no surprises, and that's why we liked the Australian Japan tour that much. Finally, a surprise, um, medleys. Yeah, and you know what? And a, and you, a you drummer know, who the the, the farewell tour sets the gr- the the ground for all of that comes afterwards. Obviously, they got away with putting Eric Singer in Peter Chris's makeup. That sets the stage yeah. for Tommy Thayer to be able to wear. Ace's makeup when Ace the you know what two thousand three doesn't want to do the symphony and he's kind of two thousand and two was a holding year where they did very little, um, so all of the, the farewell sets the stage for the for the for the next fifteen years because very little changes in the in the stages or the sets you know very minor changes it's just a matter of continue doing what they'd been doing so. I guess we have the farewell tour to thank for the continued existence of the band in some ways. Well, any bad Kiss show is better than 90% of every other show, so I'll take it. Yeah, I agree. Oh, you got a little dog there. Yeah, he's being a bit of a suck right now. He's just kind of crying at the at my feet, so I just got to kind of hold him. Don't Don't mind him. So yeah, but I mean, you know, the the thing with the farewell tour that kind of bothered me is that when you think of a farewell tour, you think of something really grandiose and something very much something to celebrate, you know. And it just seemed like the longer it went on, the less excitement was built around it. Almost, yeah. I mean, it, it it kind of restarted again. Obviously, when it got to Japan and Australia, because we had something to talk about with Eric coming into the band, right? And those kind of things restarted the conversation and people got reinterested again. And then luckily, because the shows were so good, I think it reinvigorated some people's interest back in the band again. It was like, well, wait a minute. The band is playing really good with Eric. Maybe, you know, maybe it started running some people's gears, you know, and their brain saying, well, maybe they could continue if they had somebody like him in the band, you know, I mean at that point it still wasn't it wasn't thought about continuing people were still thinking it was going to be ending obviously right but well, those I'm people sure... include Paul and Gene because i think they were they were quite happy with how it turned out they they probably perhaps really wanted to stop at the end of 2000 and after the shows in uh, in australia and japan they saw well maybe we can continue with other people because look at uh, we we we, sh- we sound better uh the the arenas were packed, so the people who perhaps were convinced it was not over, the first ones were uh, were Paul and Jim when they when when Eric Singer joined the uh, joined the team. I think I so think they, they they didn't probably at the end with Ace and Peter. No no one wanted to be on that stage and no one wanted to play. They they just 
maybe couldn't wait to stop um, sincerely until yeah. uh, they get the new blood and uh, and perhaps they're reinvigorated after that. So they brought back Eric. Why didn't they bring back Bruce? That that's a really really good question because the and that's one thing I'd really like an honest answer for to be honest with you because every time Bruce talks it. about it. Well, every time Bruce talks about it, he always seems very proud of the fact that he's been the only guy, well, not only guy, but he's been one of the guys that didn't have to wear the makeup. You know what I mean? He always kind of makes that sound. Yeah, he always makes it sound like, you know, I didn't have to wear the makeup and, you know, I was accepted in the band and I I had such a long stint in the band. You know, he that's almost like his calling card like i'm the guy in kiss that didn't wear the makeup you know and he was very happy about that period and he always waves the flag for that period whenever he does his solo tours right where he plays a lot of that material at, at his solo shows right he's very did you see did you see the ones from south america i think it was south america recently uh a week or two ago no oh i, I saw some i think was it south america yeah well, he, it he, is. yeah he's just yeah, been he, down there yeah, yeah. Sounded kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the la- I, I've got some videos of him when he did that in Australia a few years ago. You know, he does a great job. But, you know, he was busy. I mean, he had Union going on at the time. <laughs> Come on, Union and Kiss. Yeah, but he was doing it, trying to do his own thing, you know, with... Uh, do your uh, own thing, do your own thing. Yeah, and, and <laughs> with... Would he have Come fit? On. Come on, they've, I got, mean, to, they've we, got Tommy if, if, Thayer right there, sitting next to you, yeah, 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 with yeah, a guitar yeah. in hand, saying, "Hey, Ace, you didn't play this right today," you know. And knowing that he'd been in Cold Gin, you've got a guy on standby in case Ace yeah. doesn't show up for the whole of the reunion era. Uh, it's just, why would Bruce even be thought of? You know, Bruce because is out he there. was a member of Kiss. Yeah, but he was a fucking Kiss but, member. But you Tommy got, Thayer was a you've you got know, a standby the Ace, guy. You've got a guy who's already performed as a fill-in you know wearing aces makeup he knows how to put it on he doesn't need any you know training bruce would have needed training and he already plays like ace bruce plays like bruce what did what did that what did it what did it mean spruce bruce again you know in makeup yeah, you know what i mean what do you mean do you mean that thomas hair is some kind of dancer on stage <sighs> this is no. all he does <sighs> I, I just, I just think Tommy Thayer, like... it, you know, for better or worse, and I have very little good to say about Black and Blue. Not my thing at all. Did not care for them. But as a person, he's there. Yeah. He's ready to he, go. I mean, he, he's like, fit, he's like ready. You just have to unwrap the packaging and put him out on stage, and he can play. So that's that's all you want. Well, I, that's all they need. Yeah, but I would like then... he could he could be in the sidelines fixing everything, and you put. Bruce on stage because Bruce can play the solo to Creatures of Night. I wonder though. I wonder though if that's one thing that maybe t- that Bruce was a little bit afraid of is that he he was so loved by the fans. Okay, was he afraid maybe of the backlash if he got went into the makeup because you know like like we just said earlier, Eric went in. And you said, Alan, that there was a backlash when he Definitely. first got into the makeup, right? Would he have had the same reaction to that? Maybe he didn't. Maybe Bruce was comfortable with what he was doing. After all, he did get paid to sit at home by Kiss when they first did the reunion tour, right? So would it have been maybe too much of a headache? Maybe he thought to himself, you know what? I'm making, I got money here. 
I'm, you know, people still love me and kiss like all the kiss fans love me. If I go now and put this makeup on now, will I start getting this backlash and will people revolt because I'm wearing the spaceman makeup? It wasn't up to him. No, I agree. I agree. I don't, he I don't think he can say whatever he wants. If 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 Paul and Gene would have called him and said, "Well, if you you can join Kiss if you wear Ace Frehley makeup," he would have said yes. He can say you whatever. He would, yes, of course. of course. He would have made in three months. He would have made the money that he's made for ten years. So that's an easy choice. Yeah. Yeah. Or they could. He would have joined or... the band. He's always the team player. He's always a team player. Uh, we need you in the band, of course. No problem. Or maybe he said, why don't you take the makeup off and grow the goatee again <laughs> and, uh, you know. That would work. You know, the that... only time Bruce has shown balls is when he told Winnie Vincent to go fuck himself when he said <laughs> he had played the unholy solo. That's the only time. Mention another time he's shown balls. That he's we know a about. a team player and that's good. But... But uh, yeah. if they oh, said, that is they a, said that's a... join the band and and earn millions, okay. Yeah, but you know Tommy Thayer's there. Like, oh, we need a guitarist. Yeah. Tommy's the... sitting there holding a cold gin ad, saying, "Don't call Bruce. I'm, I'm right here. Save yourself a yeah. quarter. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah, save yourself a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> He's done yeah. a good well, job, I have to say. And then I mean... and then you look at someone like Eddie Cannon and and. You say, well, look at this guy and how he looks like in cat makeup and then think of Bruce wearing Ace's makeup. You know, obviously they fixed it a bit with Eric Singer. You know, he, he looked really awkward initially, you know, but yeah. they, they did come around once they yeah. got Yeah, I don't his, know what his... they changed because the first image that we've talked about looks awful, but now I, I feel like he, he looks... Either we right. got used to it, which yeah, is totally possible, but, but I think they changed it up and made it work for his face shape and all that. But you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they made him have plastic surgery. You know, you know he made you, you know he made a big mistake in the first show in Yokohama, uh, Eric Singer, which is very rare for him to as yeah. a drummer. Uh, maybe we'll, someone will will check online, but um, I think for shout it out loud, he started playing like I love it loud. He, he started the intro vial of it loud, and then and then he went and shouted out, "Oh, the other way around!" But he, okay. it, it was his first show in makeup, and I think he was really really nervous. I remember watching him at the end when they all go up. He was also looking at them like he like like a fan. He was not uh, waiting for a cure or anything at that point. No, when Gene did uh, "God of Thunder," I think he was looking at him like he was enjoying yeah, the yeah. show. As part of the show, and I thought that that, that was pretty. That's cool. awesome. Yeah, that's great. It, it, those are the great. kind of people that you want in the band. You know yeah. what I mean? Like somebody who can appreciate it. I mean, I think that's the problem with some of the other people. Like, I mean, like a, someone like a Vinny who probably didn't appreciate <laughs> the majesty of what Kiss was at that point, and probably just went in and just thought, whatever, I can just take over yeah. and they'll play my songs. You know, when you have Eric Singer in there who loved every minute of it and was enjoying the show being involved in it just as much as the audience, you know? Yeah, that's a whole different story. But how the hell did they first manage to hire Vinnie Vincent and then Mark St. John? It's, it's incredible. Desperation. Yeah, but how desperate can you get? I mean, oh, well, they were fucking use your head. 
<laughs> well, if you think of Mark St. John, apparently you can get very desperate because if you think of even all the other shredders and you're going for basically a no one because what had Mark done? Very little. Nothing. You know, he'd done mm-hmm. a lot with local bands, Teacher. but and, and this is you know, absolutely no disrespect to someone who's you know oh, no, 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 someone no, no, who's no. dead and gone. Simple as that. But he had not had a career of any notes. But he's the complete opposite to what Vinnie Vincent was. You know, Vinnie Vincent had worked with a lot of bands, had worked with a lot of different bands. He'd done jazz, he'd done R&B, he'd done, you know, what was that? Disco. Disco. Uh, yeah. You know, so you go from one side to to a guy who's got nothing. Maybe they thought, well, if this is a basically a nobody you know, Vinnie Vincent, who's, who's done a lot of work with a lot of things but hasn't made it, then maybe we got to get someone who's done nothing with nobody and has nothing, you know, because we can't work with these guys and their egos. You know, even if they haven't been successful, they're still lead guitar diseased players. I always imagine, Kiss, what if you had Paul, you had Gene, you had a good drummer, and you had a flamboyant guitarist, but that was... I understood after a while that that was never an option because they wanted a guy standing way in the back, not doing anything. But imagine what the live show would have been if they had a great guitarist who can move, dance, and do some stuff. It would have been... It it maybe would have saved them during the non-makeup era because Bruce didn't do anything. Well, yeah, he was, a great, he, he, he was a great guitarist. I love what he did, but live he didn't do anything. So what's his name? Yannick Gares, Iron Maiden. Oh yeah, I'm sure he was available in the 1980s. What was he with Gillen and then uh, Gog Magog? Watch that fucker it's dance a on stage. Guys who you, you want you want a guitarist who can sing and dance and yeah yeah, but ask Iron Maiden what they think of him for his guitar because left and right during during the eighties and nineties. You had Gene, you had Paul, and you had Bruce standing over there. Imagine if you had a guitarist who could bring it, but they didn't want that, unfortunately. No, and they wouldn't want anyone to distract from the Gene and Paul show. <laughs> you know, you know, once once the originals were gone, then it was all about Gene and Paul, and everyone else was just a hired hand. And that's kind of interesting when you when you look at the medleys from uh, I don't know if it was Japan or or Australia, but. They play a lot of medleys, and Ace Frehley does a lot of cool stuff. And then Paul has to play the last song. He's like, last word freak. I'll do Mr. Speed after everyone else because uh-huh. I need to have the last word. It's so typical. Yeah, but that's... that's control. Then, then in Australia, he starts doing I Still Love You, a bit of I Want You in his uh, intro to Shandy. So, yeah. yeah, hey, he's Paul Stanley, and we're not. Yeah, yeah, he he gets to do whatever the hell he wants. He's Paul Stanley, you know, just like just like Ace is Ace Frehley, and Gene is Gene. You know, they get to do whatever they want because they are who they are. Yeah, that's right. It's always the last word, freak. If you watch Seinfeld, watch that episode. (laughs) Fucking Paul Stanley. Let someone else have the limelight for once. I mean, how? I mean, you've had the money, you've had the women, you've had the success. Why don't can't you let someone else have the limelight? No, because, because you have seen. Because the, I'm you, Paul you, Stanley. No, you have. Have you seen the casino show where Gene is the only? You know, they're a trio, and have you seen Gene? <laughs> it doesn't G- work no, very well. That's why. Yeah. That's why. 
you know so yeah it's incredible how lousy he is at kiss lyrics gene i mean he's been up there for 40 years and he doesn't know a single word for another song than his his own which is why they're all they can all be very thankful they've got eric singer because eric can just you see him singing along when he's playing i mean yeah he seems to know it all i mean so. I like everything. He's always, you know, what a guy. You know, he seems to know every Kiss song in the catalog. Have you ever seen him like? I don't know what to play. No, I've never seen it. You know, I see no. Bruce. Uh, what the hell is this? But what's, even, did... but what's even more impressive about it is that he started in the band playing it in kind of his style when he like when he was first in the band yeah. and then and then he then he was able to tr- trim it down when they told him he listen we got to play it more like the original style i mean he can do it any which way they tell him to do it and it still Such sounds great you know that's the thing that's great about him yeah. but i do prefer i mean you guys slaughtered the live 3 album but creatures of night Deuce, Parasite. To me, they have never sounded as good as they did on Alive 3. Well, maybe Alive 1. Uh, I, I like the way he played them, but uh, but Alive 3 got butchered on this show. Yep. You guys killed it. Well, the album is horrible. Yep. The album is terrible. Yeah, l- oh, yes. listen to the yes. tour bootlegs, and that's a whole different story. Yes. Yeah, watch, watch yeah, the night that. Watch the Nagoya bootleg 1995. Oh, that, I have watched fire. it like they're a million amazing. times. Yeah. Uh, London, London 92. Well, what fire. do you think Just, is yeah. the difference between Nagoya and, uh, let's say, Alive 3? Oh, the What's production. The production. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. production. That's all. That is, that We're is talking drumming now. Listen to Deuce from Alive 3. I mean, come on. I'm sorry, I didn't catch you. I didn't hear. I say, listen to Juice from Alive oh. 3. I mean, it's great. Even though they had they distorted the um, sound from the audience, you know, like I just wanna yeah. they did some stuff and like that. It didn't sound. Uh, it sounded, uh, you know, they they they. Yeah, it's the overdubs and the overproduction yeah. that that's yeah. So they did and, and it would have been mic differently for but if you look at the core. So. You mean? Yeah. I mean, I love it. Uh, I mean, Parasite, um, Creatures of Night, Deuce. I mean, it sounds yeah, fucking yeah. great. They they played great. At the it core. was a great lineup. It was a great lineup. That's I would have wished that they could have made another album, but it wasn't to be. Wasn't to be. All right. There we are. We've gone way off topic again. Oh, is there it we go. already the yeah. end? <laughs> yeah. You have your ending voice. Yes, we have our ending voice. I don't, I don't know how much longer I can go with my with my cold here. I am sniffing Today's at the Today's episode was about Eric Singer. <laughs> yes, Eric Singer. Yes. Eric Singer, save Kiss. Oh. There you go. Hey, that's a good topic. Ah. So, Ooh, yeah, that's, that, that is kind Eric's... of the discussion. You Next know, episode. You know, <laughs> The farewell tour, you know, what was, how did they do for you out there? You know, what did you think of the farewell? Did you think it was going to be the farewell? Did you know that they were going to be back a couple of years later? And, you know, with it setting the stage for other people wearing particular members' makeup, you know, does it set the stage for all of that? You know, what's your take on everything that we've discussed today? Because, you know, it's it's a pretty big topic. It's a, you know, big word like gymnasium. So, But you have to. 
we have to say this is the first kiss episode where everyone is talking english and no one is from america that's pretty big or is it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> japan sweden canada great britain it's kind of cool expat anyway so yes. you know that, that's the whole idea behind it, and th- this is really representative today of the uh, the idea behind the Kiss FAQ podcast, yeah. right, Daniel? Your idea originally. You were you were, Where the, I'm from. You were yeah no you're the one who came up with the idea of the Kiss FAQ doing yeah. the podcast and trying to get people you know members of the board from all over the world together to talk about Kiss. We need we need some girls. Yeah, and not the way three sides do it. Oh look at her, they go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, she's a smart lassie, though. She holds her own. Yeah, she's good, but they are not when she's in the episode. They yeah. got, they get like all startled. Well, we're guys, aren't we? I, you know, we have. What the fuck? Well, you're, you're, you know... you're, 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 you're an adult. Yeah, Wherever exactly. you speak with a woman, they're, they're like, yeah. Well, let's see how. Let you know if we do get one of our female Bring fans a woman on here, the, on the and we'll show. We'll talk to her yeah, like she's see. a guy. Let, let's see how we'll talk we talk to do. her like she's a guy, like she's a kids fan, and not like she's like a. Or whether we're going to be all patriarchal and you know, you know. So we'll wait and see what happens with that. So everyone, you've got the questions. Alan, thank you for staying up late. Thank you for yeah. Daniel. Thank you for coming straight after work. And Mark, thanks for always being here. And for Uh all of you out there, thanks for listening. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. We hope to see you again.